again, thank you for allowing us to be here, Father. Letting us come and, and worship your great and powerful name. And we're thankful for your word. We just pray it be your word that will speak to us today. And may it be your word we hear. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're going to wrap up our series of sermons. Angel, we have heard on high. And last week we looked at the message given to Mary. And today we're going to conclude with looking at the message given to the shepherds. And friends, today we're going to do something a little bit different because when we, we obviously see that the angels announcing um, to the shepherds about the birth of the Lord Jesus, which is the main content and which is primarily what this text is all about. And, and once again, we see a situation where these people, these shepherds, they were doing their own thing and, and doing their own thing in their own environment. And then poof, unexpectedly, God appeared and basically shattered their perspective on things and he changed their lives uh, forever. And these shepherds, I believe, were never the same. And everyone that knew them felt the same way and saw a big difference. I mean, it's not every day that angels appear before you and basically drop down a word from the Lord to give to you. Talk about instant life change. It happened to everyone in the Christmas story. And friends, it can happen to you and me today because we know that God, He is still speaking. He is still speaking. And if we allow Him... If we allow him to come into our world and, and let him have his way, he'll not only shadow our perspective on things, but he'll change our lives forever. And we know that people who knows us, who know us, and they see God in us, they know there's something different, perhaps weird, about that person. But here's the different spin or observation we're going to be looking at today. What were the angels doing in our text? And what did the shepherds end up doing in our text? That's really the main question. So let's go ahead and read our text found in Luke 2, 8 through 20. You can follow along in your Bibles or on the screen. But in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger, and suddenly there appeared with the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lie, lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just had been told them. 
But notice verses 13 and 14 and verse 20 in our text once again. What were the angels doing? What were the angels doing? The text once again says, And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts. Here it is. Praising God. And they were saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. So after the shepherds went and saw what had been told them, what was their response in verse 20? Well, once again, we see the shepherds went back. What were they doing? They were glorifying and they were praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as was told them. So the first observation that we simply want to point out this morning is simply this. Notice who the angels and the shepherds are praising and who they're glorifying and worshiping in our text. Verse 13, I can't believe it's raining, by the way. <laughs> Come on! It's late December. <laughs> wow. But verse 13 says, A multitude of the heavenly host praising who? God. Verse 20, the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God. So our first observation is very, very, very simple, but it's hard. Because humans have a tendency to worship something other than God. But our text reveals very clearly the one and only one who deserves glory, honor, praise, adoration, and worship. You see, friends, the angels, they got it right. The shepherds, they got it right. Who did they praise and glorify? Well, obviously, they praised and glorified the only one who is deserving. And friends, this doesn't change. It hasn't, it is not, and it will not ever, ever change. You see, life, it's not about us. It's not about collecting the American dream. It really isn't. We are not worthy of worship. Just ask my wife. <laughs> Preachers, you're not worthy. We're not worthy of worship. Teachers are not worthy of worship. Superstar athletes are not worthy of worship. Hollywood stars, and I just threw up in my mouth a little bit, they're not worthy. <laughs> Politicians, bleh. Are not worthy of worship. There's only one, and it's God. And there are two big reasons why. Number one, simply is this because of who He is. Because of who He is. Now, let's, let's think about this for a moment. When we read the scripture, this is what comes forth about our God. We, we find a God who is the creator of heavens and earth. We find a God who possesses all knowledge. We find a God who is all wise. We find a God who, who possesses all power. He is the one who has always been. He wasn't created. And He is. And He always will be. We find a God who can be everywhere and anywhere at the same time. Think about that. But God is the truly sovereign one. In other words, he is the only one 
who is absolutely in charge 100% of the time. He is the only one who is truly pure and holy. He is the only one who is righteous. His actions will always, always be right. And he is the only one who is truly faithful. In other words, he will always do what he says he's going to do. And friends, God, and he happens to love his world. He happens to love you and his whole creation. And he's the one who perfectly, perfectly, without partiality, who perfectly loves us. And he's the one that truly cares. And he's merciful. And he's good. And he's full of grace and truth, right? And we could go on and on here. But we worship him because of who he is. And also, the second reason, we worship him because of what he's done. I mean, just think about the Christmas story. We have been the last month, but that's all we really have to say. Think about the extent that God went through to repair the awful effects that sin has not only done to us physically, but also spiritually. But what sin has done to, to this good world that he created, it's a mess. It's still a mess, and it will continue to be messy until he comes back. Think about the extent that God went through for us to, to be forgiven of our sins. I mean, the death of Jesus, friends, reveals what he's done. But think about the incarnation. I mean, God becoming a human being in the person of Jesus of Nazareth so that he could pay sin's price? I mean, do we realize that God took the wrath. Jesus took the wrath of God upon himself so that we could escape the wrath that is to come. How awesome is that? Amen. Think about the, what God has done for us so that we could be put back in the right relationship with him. Friends, think about all the, the mighty acts that we read from Genesis through, Revela through Revelation. Mighty, mighty acts. And when you and I explore them, and when we think about them, our natural reaction really is praise. Our natural reaction is adoration to this God, the God of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We should praise and worship Him simply because of who He is and what He's done. And the world needs to know Yes, we're to go tell it on the mountain. Now, don't climb Mount Ephraim because you'll die, but, but we're to spread and we're to proclaim to this world what God has done and who God is. So we're to tell the world there's only one worthy of worship. Our husbands, spouses, not worthy. His name is God. Mary is not worthy. The angels are not worthy. Joseph is not worthy. The apostles are not worthy. The magi are not worthy. There is only one and only who is worthy, and that's God. Deuteronomy 6, 13 says, You shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship him and swear by his name. You shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the peoples who surround you. 
So the angels and the shepherds, they point us to the one who's worthy of worship. What else do we notice in our text? Well, notice the words praising and glorifying in our text. Well, there's an observation that we certainly need to make about those specific words as well. But what is that observation? Well, it's simply this. The word praising in verse 13 and in verse 20, the word glorifying in verse 20, both of these words in the Greek language are verbs. Now, definitely not an English scholar here. I could barely speak and write English. But they're verbs. And what do verbs do? Well, they show action. They show action. They are action words. So observation number two is simply this. Glorifying and praising are showy words. Now, not show-off words, but action words. They are not passive. Please hear that. They are not passive. In our text today, we see the angels worshiping and glorifying and praising. We also see the human being shepherds doing the same thing. They both were giving reverence unto God. They were both worshiping God. They were paying homage to God. They were declaring the praises of God. And one of the things that we can point out is that these words that are used are used in the Old and New Testaments. And you know what? They're always connoting, denoting, whatever, action. They're verbs. They're things that are done. Let's look at a few of these uh, examples. When the people were rebuilding the temple after the exile, we read these words in Ezra chapter 3, starting in verse 10, that when the builders had laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with what? With trumpets. And the Levites and the sons of Asaph with what? With symbols to praise the Lord according to the directions of King David. And what did they do? Verse 11, they sang, <laughs> praising and giving thanks to the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his loving kindness is upon Israel forever. And the people, what did they do? They shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because of the foundations of the house of the Lord. They were laid and Luke 23, verse 47. Now when the centurion saw what had happened, what did he do? He began praising God. In Acts chapter 2, verse 46, what was the early church doing? There was a lot of great things. God was doing something new. He was, he was moving. He was shaking things. And the church was birthed, and it was, a, it was awesome. But what was the church doing? Well, Acts 2. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of hearts. What were they doing? They were praising God. Luke 5, verse 25, And at once he rose up before them and took up what he had been lying on and went home. What did he do? Glorifying God. And the Bible says, and all were seized with astonishment and began glorifying God. And they were filled with fear, saying, we have seen remarkable things today. And there are a thousand more that we could quote here. But do you see our common words here? The words praising and glorifying, they're action words. They're verbs. They're things we do. As we know, friends, loving God. 
Loving God is not a passive thing. Worshiping God and praising God, it's not a passive thing. I mean, we can say we're loving God. We can worship, say we're worshiping and praising God with our words all we want. But it's, it's what we do that speaks the loudest. And we have to be intentional in doing these things. So here's, here's a tough question. And friends, believe me, this isn't being asked to make us feel guilty make us feel shamed and beat ourselves up because we're pretty good at doing that anyway. But it's being asked that we will examine our lives and make change if necessary. But if we say we worship and praise God, <coughs> does our life show it? Does our life show it? If we say we love God and, and man, God has changed my life and he is moving, he's shaking in my life, does our life show that? Does it reflect those words? If we say we worship Jesus with all our hearts and minds and souls and strength, does it show it? If we say we love the lost, and we have a concern for the loss. Does our life show it? Does our life show it? In other words, what do our actions communicate? You know why? Our lives, friends, whether we like it or not, they're telling a story. The words that we speak, the things that we do, the people that we gather with, they're telling a story. So, so what are they telling? When the world looks at you, what do they see? Do they see Jesus? Or do they see the world? So true praise and true glorifying, they're things that are done, they're action words. This is something concrete that both the angels and the shepherds did, and it's something that we need to do as well. Now, to lead us in our last point, what are some of the ways that our lives can show in other words, what can we do to show our worship for God? And this leads us to our, our last and final observation. But we can really see this third point in the angels and more than likely in the shepherds as well. But, but the question I'm going to ask that will lead us to the third observation are simply these. How were the angels glorifying and praising God in our text? When the shepherds left the scene, how were they more than likely praising and glorifying the Lord our God? Since glorifying and praising is a concrete action, what were they doing? And does the Bible really speak about this any further? I, I believe it does. But let's first take a look at how the angels were praising and glorifying the Lord God. Verses 13 and 14 again. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and underline or score or whatever. This next word, and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. So how are they worshiping? How are they praising God? Where our text shows us, they were speaking words. They were speaking words of declaration. They were crying out about God. To these shepherds. And so in other words, they used their words to praise and glorify the Lord God. They proclaimed 
Glory to the God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Perhaps there was singing, perhaps not. But words were being used. Well, how about the shepherds? Well, friends, these lowly shepherds returned from the scene. I believe it's changed people. I don't know how you can see what you can see and hear what you heard and, and be the same. There's probably a problem with it if, if that were the case. But we could probably assume that they as well, they used their words to go and glorify and praise the name of the Lord. Perhaps we can safely assume that they proclaimed and they told lots of people, lots of people what they had seen and heard. Whether people listened or not, it doesn't matter. They proclaimed. Perhaps they shared the good news. Hey, world, guess what? The Savior has been born. And folks, we can do the same thing whether the world listens to us or not. Chances are good they won't. But does that stop our proclamation? No! We keep telling. We keep using our words. We use our hands and our feet like we sang today. We read in Revelation. I'm not going to read all these scriptures, but Revelation. Camp out in the book of Revelation. Hey, there's some good, good stuff here. Revelation 7, verses 11 through 12, we read how the angels were bowing down before the throne. And look what they were declaring. The Bible says, And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne. They worshiped God. And this is what they were saying. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be to our God forever and ever. When's the last time we dropped to our knees and just started making a proclamation, God, you are this, you are this, you are this. In prior verses, John, he sees a great multitude, the people of God, Standing before the Lamb, worshiping the Lord. And look what they were proclaiming. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice, Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. Read Revelation 5, 11 through 14. But we see it everywhere in Scripture. When the people of God, when the angels of the Lord worship, many times they're using their words. And the Scripture indicates they're shouting, they're proclaiming declarations. They pronounce who God is and what He's is it any different for us today? No, it's not. Now, I have a lot of psalms here. The psalms show the psalmists, they sing in words. They're singing words of praise to the Lord. We read in Psalm 17, 717, I will give thanks to the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise. Psalm 92, I will be glad and exult in thee. I will sing praise to thy name. The Psalms tell God's people to clap their hands and shout with the voice of joy to the Lord. We read in Psalm 47, 1, clap your hands, all peoples, shout to God. 
with the voice of joy. Psalm 63, 4 mentions the psalmist lifting up his hands to the Lord in worship. We see God's people praising God, glorifying the Lord, worshiping the Lord by, by offering sacrifices to him, praying to him, singing to him, lifting up hands to him, clapping their hands to him, tithing and giving offerings to him. There are many other things that they did as well. So friends, there are so many ways that we can glorify and praise and worship the Lord. I love what Paul writes in Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. He says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And he says in Colossians 3, 17, whatever you do, word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Friends, the way that we use our bodies the way that we live can be an act of worship to the Lord our God. And we gather here every Lord's Day and we sing to God. Our singing is an act of, it's an act of worship and praise. And Rachel does an awesome job in leading us in that. Taking communion is an act of worship and praise. Teaching for Jesus is an act of worship and praise. Declaring the excellencies of God, declaring who he is in this world and what he's done is an act of worship. Taking people to the youth to the Harlem Globetrotters is an act of worship. <laughs> Being in the prayer ministry and praying is an act of worship. And sometimes when we're singing praise to God and we want to lift up our hands or, or clap and say amen, guess what? It's okay. It's okay. It's an act of worship. So friends, the bottom line is our, our very lives are to be an offering. We're not here for ourselves. We're here to reflect His glory and to serve Him to love Him and to honor Him. God is our object of worship and praise and praising Him and glorifying His name. It simply means action on our part. Worship, praise, glorifying Him, their action words and friends. There are so many things that we can do to praise and glorify His most holy name. Maybe your passion is cooking. And maybe there's some people that need meals in the church or outside the church. And you want to start a ministry and say... What a great idea. Use your skills as an act of worship to help someone in need. Maybe you like to write cards. Send cards to the hurting or to those who need encouragement. Folks, it's an act of worship. There, I mean, there's so many things that we can do to show our love for God. And that's the thing. We're not serving because we're trying to earn favor points with God. It doesn't work that way. Salvation doesn't work that way. God's love for us doesn't work that way. We do it because we love him. And we're grateful. And that's why we do what we do. So friends, don't forget these simple truths. God is the object of our worship. Worship and praise and glorifying. It denotes action on our part. It's not passive. Then lastly, there's a variety of ways that we can praise 
and magnify his name. And proclaiming his words, like we see the angels and the shepherds, is simply one way. So many other ways. Our lives are an offering. Let's pray. Father, I know there's more that could be said here, but you are an awesome God. And you deserve our praise and our worship because there's no one else worthy. (laughs) There is no one else worthy. Father, we are just simply, you know, we're broken people. That came to Jesus. And he uses our mess somehow to glorify his name. Your name, Father. Father, I pray for the church here. It's a wonderful congregation, Lord. And I and I really look forward to hearing what you're going to do through them. And I pray a blessing over them. I pray a blessing over the youth of this church, Father. There is life there. And it's awesome to see. I look forward to hearing what you're doing in their lives. And Father, may you build the future through these young people. Because they are the next generation. And God, we're just grateful that you allow us to be able to serve your great name. It's not because you really need us. You want us. And you want to do a great work in our lives. So Lord, help us to be courage, have courage to go tell it on the mountain who you are and what you've done for us, what you've done for this world. And go tell the principalities of this world there's only one true sovereign king. His name is Jesus. There is no other. So we yield our allegiance to you, Lord Jesus. We pray. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.